be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. There has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. You do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected, and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community... You want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at, at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 the pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric, actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't, not to beat it, yeah. beat it to death. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Because now okay. the CDC says, I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is, is right. that right? I mean... You know, it became clear that cloth coverings that you didn't have to buy in a store that you could make yourself were adequate. And then you want it to fit better. So one of the ways you could do it, if you would like to, is put a cloth mask over, which actually here and here and here, where you could get leakage in, is much better contained. Are you a double masker, Dr. Fauci? Look like you are. <laughs>
just going to blame the very people that you claim you're protecting. It's just hilarious. But we'll go through it today. And it's also kind of sad because people are being hurt because of these lies, sort of the way they pretend that what we're doing hurts people. But the reality is their lies are actively hurting people, as well as a really important study that we'll start with today in regard to masks. Sort of fitting, isn't it? Because it's one of the main things that we really just stuck to our guns on and just continued to attack and continued to expose the lies and the peer-reviewed science that showed it. And it's, it's going to be almost too much to bear today for those that have been following us from the beginning, of at least the mass conversation, to listen to how this conversation goes today. It's painful. I mean, just because not only is it exactly what we have been telling you and still reserved, still not even getting into the fact that, yes, N95s are also not statistically significant against transmission, which the science still says, other than their observational manipulative studies that they, I mean, it's, it's painful. And again, you will hear them discuss it today as if it's some new thing. And still, I bet you this study, beside, despite being 35 different countries, peer-reviewed, but yes, observational, will probably get dismissed in some way, one way or another. The bottom line is, I'm not telling you how to think. I'm not telling you this works, this doesn't. I've got my opinions, and I do tell you those things in some other cases. But in this context today, I'm simply telling you that there is more than enough evidence out there, and there always has been, to suggest that you should not be forced to do any of this. And on top of that, that there are very clear indications, according to the study today, but I would argue peer-reviewed fact out there, that these things are harmful to you especially when worn in certain cases like cloth masks specifically repeatedly during moist temperatures. I mean, on and on and on, or the microfabrics or the microplastics or the, I mean, it just doesn't end. And every single one of these topics are shown in their own way to cause problems. That's just on regular use. I don't need to go over all this again because all of you have probably been listening to this the entire time. Today's show was about going over the new study and showing you how it's incredible that we're now at a point after two and a half years and people are still being fired for this. Whether injections or masks, people are right now, I was just reading a discussion about a person in a very high position of power, basically saying that we shouldn't even, we should, people should be forced to wear masks until the cases are almost gone. That's really how people think right now. That's despite the science, that's despite the fact that the cases shouldn't be an indication of anything discussing the PCR test and false positives or the fact that cases don't have to, be, I mean, I, there's so many veins you can go into here and it's just lie after lie after deception after deception. And I think a lot of people are beginning to see it. I think a lot of people have always seen it. We're just now starting to realize that other people see it and we are in fact the majority or so I hope. But to start off today, I would like to make a little bit, you know, a little bit of levity here, a little bit of comedy because I just think this is hilarious. This, I just saw this in my discord chat before I came live. According to the Babylon Bee, disinformation board detects high levels of disinformation coming from mysterious white building in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I almost feel like a title would have been better if it said disinformation board detects high levels of disinformation coming from the disinformation board. Like <laughs> that would have been funny, too. But either way, it's just hilarious because it's are, are, is that I mean, we know they're lying. They even admit to you that they lie about stuff, but for freedom, though. So it's OK. But are they going to call them out when that happens? Of course not. We know that's the case. Because if, for, even if it came to where they had to admit why it happened, they would tell you, well, because to admit that they lied would undermine national security. Oh, okay. So there's a perfect recipe here for where you never get to know what's going on. You never get to expose their lies. You, have, you are forced to acknowledge their lies as truth when they tell you to because national security. It just doesn't even make sense. Nothing means anything. I've been saying that for a while. That's the point. Kind of reminds me of that CIA statement that, you know, we know our job will be complete when everything we, the American people think they know is incorrect. That's an actual statement made by a, a director of the CIA. I forget the, the year. It's a while ago. 
But why don't we think about these things? So on that note, let's jump into the mask first. And I'm going to go through something after the mask that's going to reiterate for you what we've been talking about around the CDC numbers, flu deaths, pneumonia, and everything else, which a lot of it you've seen. But there's an old article somebody shared with me from Huffington Post that I actually don't even think that I've seen before. That it's just going to make you sad because of how clearly obvious this is a deception. That they knew this stuff was there and they pretend like they don't know today. But first, let's start with the mask. Oh, actually, excuse me. One other comment that I thought was really relevant by Bethany Cherise, maybe? Cherise? She says, if this is a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, which we know they have said ad nauseum, then why do they keep saying there's another one just around the corner? <laughs> you know, it's these really basic, inconsistent, logical, uh, log- that's an interesting way to try to say that, logistic, logical. This is this is just logical inconsistency, inconsistent logic or Ill, uh, um, logical fallacy, right? Inconsistent logic where you're basically saying once in a lifetime, it's so big, we've never seen anything like it, we'll never see it, and then it's next one's coming, <laughs> or next one could be worse. The next variant could be larger. We've we've heard all of it. Now, a lot of people go out of the way to make it to like, how could Bill Gates possibly know that? And I agree. But to put it this way, I agree with the sentiment where obviously they're seeding the narrative. But because of the way they frame it, and they do it on purpose to say, well, the next one could be. All they're going to do is say, I'm just predicting what might happen next because we know there are viruses. And, and the media will say, yep, you conspiracy theorist because he didn't say. And that's how that works. But I agree with you. And I'm going to show you again today that even the WHO and the HHS and the BMJ and all they were all saying before we got there, there's no reason to think this is going to be worse next time or there will ever be another one where it could be, but we have no reason to assume that. And that's why they call out the pandemics of fear, that they use the fear to drive vaccination sales. And that's not my opinion. That's literally cited by the WHO. But today it's fake news and conspiracy theory and dangerous misinformation. It's very strange, isn't it? Somebody saying, let me check something really quickly. Oh, that's frustrating. Sometimes Rockfin does this very strange thing where you hit go live and then it pops up a secondary go live button. And I don't know why it does that. So sorry for those that were trying to watch on Rockfin. It is now live. I'll have to re-upload that when we come back to it. Thank you, Bad Andy, for letting me know that. If there's any issues on Super, you let me know as well. There was something strange happening with the embed code before we went live. That's why it's not on the, the, the article page. In any case, let me know if anything else goes on. We should be live on Rockfin. Let's keep going. Appreciate that, guys. Now, bottom line was with this point, for those that may be just tuning in right now, is that it, there's so many inconsistent logical standpoints, stand, uh, talking points in all of this. Once in a lifetime pandemic, but another one's coming. Or, I mean, I can't off the top of my head, you know, you, you know I've brought this up many times, but there's just so much inconsistency, whether we're talking about Ukraine or, you know, look at their Nazis because of things that we assume, but over here we've got a mountain of evidence, but no, you misunderstand it. And it's just this inconsistency. And even I'm not saying that we know for sure on either side of it, but to ignore one of them, like the ghost of Kiev we'll talk about today, is just a choice. It's a political choice. And now when this gets completely thrown under the bus, where even the Ukrainian military and the government are saying, yeah, that was fake. That's made up. Literally, the quote is made up. What do they do? Do they come back in and go engage in the conversation and go, you know what? You were right. Let's talk about that. Nope. I mean, most people don't do that. Even honest people usually don't do that. But they don't then change the dynamic. They go off and attack other people for same things. They call you a Russian spy, even though all the people that called me a Russian shill and spy and disinformation agent are now going, oh, he was right, but we'll never tell anybody that. He's still a Russian spy and he just messed up his propaganda, right? It doesn't matter. Facts don't mean anything in the way that this all goes forward. 
And I, again, do not believe that's everybody, but there's a lot of them out there. Think about, I mean, like we said before, what's 5% of 300 million? It's a lot of people. So if they just have a really, really small concentrated minority that they scream about as the majority, it's easy to make that happen. Now, going into the mass topic, and this is one of the most obvious ones from the beginning where people were just, you know, what you call psychosis, you can call it brainwashing, social engineering. I mean, people have their own opinions about what words mean what and what's appropriate in certain times. Bottom line is people have been manipulated. And we see this, like fear, fear to the point where people are having like breakdowns, right? And this, I mean, trust me, we've seen this. And then they use that fear. They use that fear to manipulate you emotionally so it circumvents your logic. And then you're realizing, well, I'm just going to do whatever I'm told because we're all going to die. This is the biggest thing since ever, ever, ever. It's Ebola and whatever else. You know, they hype it. And you can even hear it in their voice on the media, on the news. And it's like, and then people just do what they're told. Now, in the beginning, that's what happened. Then people like us started poking holes in this and saying, well, wait a minute. How do you explain this CDC study from May 2020 that literally says the exact opposite by 20 different random controlled trials? And of course, at that time, people were so caught up in the fervor and the fear that they just yelled it down and said, no, 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 you're crazy. You, you're not a scientist. You don't understand. And we remember that, right? But there's, so at that point, there wasn't really much contradiction. It was just basically saying, you don't know what you're talking about, even though it was very obvious. And now looking back on it, you can still see that it's very obvious. Then they came out with all their really quick, as they called flash hot in the pan, hot flash in the pan, kind of, you know, very quick two month studies, observational uh, in the lab, you know, that said what they wanted to. And then people like us went through and laughed about how, well, look at this. This is obviously subjective. They obviously chose data points that started where they wanted them to. And, you know, as things went on, people attacked it and rightly so. Other experts came out and said, guys, this was very dishonest. And even then, even if it wasn't, ask yourself why we would then take one observational study the CDC did on the fly during a pandemic, they say, versus 20 random controlled trials, right? It's so clear to see the breakdown of honesty and logic throughout this process, because that's what happened. And now we keep going, right? Just rushing through the rest of it. We had a bunch of these you know, jamming in studies here and there, left and right, a few of them that tried to do it throughout the process, like the one from Denmark. The Danish study that was ran controlled trial that found that masks were dangerous and they all attacked it and shoved it away. And that's what happens, right? Even though it was far better and be- more better conducted, higher level evidence, hot random controlled versus observational, but no, kicked it away. Brings us to today where people like us have been attacking this and pointing it out. People like Lena Wen and Gottlieb will go on the in the media and suddenly say, oh, class masks don't work at all. And then suddenly the narrative shifts and everybody goes, yeah, we know they don't work, even though that was the primary mo- the focal point of me from the very beginning. The cloth masks were the most dangerous. In fact, that the science said, peer-reviewed, that they were in fact dangerous. They increased your risk of infection. Which was the point in regard to, what was it? Yeah, that's frustrating. I used to know how to look that up. I was going to include that since this is a main point in here, that this is stuff that they knew from before. Let's see. Should be able to grab this reasonably quick. There it is. Okay. So this is the one that I've been showing for a long time. 2015, random controlled trial. Only one that I know of, class mass, that unequivocally finds that they increase your risk of infection. Due to polar filtration and reuse, they increase your risk. So they knew that. So we were railing on that, saying we're dangerous, you're hurting people. And I remember when the CDC, their whole page on masks simply said cloth masks. And they said, everybody should use cloth masks. Whether they knew that was dangerous or they did it because they were trying to save other masks, it doesn't even matter. They gave you a choice or a direction that put you at higher risk. 
And that slowly came to, to came out in the news and everything else. And now we're at a point where another main peer-reviewed study, and yes, it is observational, and that's really important to make clear, because observational studies or other different kinds of studies don't mean they're not important or relevant. But as always, the point is random controlled trial is the top. Expert opinion is, is in fact, the lowest level of evidence because it's just their statement. They're experts, but it's the lowest level considered in the, the, di the dynamic of evidence, random control being the very highest. So observational is in there, but you have to factor it in that it, there could be limitations. On that point, though, it's 35 different countries, 602 million people, peer-reviewed study on whether or not these things are effective and whether or not they hurt you. Now, it's correlation. Be hear, hear me on that. It is correlation. But it matters when taken into conjunction with everything else, and especially that it is correlation on a massive scale of 35 different countries. So that being said, the title is new study. Face mask usage correlates with higher death rates. Well, shocking, right? Because we knew that. <laughs> we knew that when you wear these things all the time, they increase your risk of infection, which would therefore very clearly translate to an increased risk of mortality. So it's not very shocking to any of you at all, I would imagine. But it's out there and it's being discussed. So we'll see how long it takes for this to go on the quasi-independence and maybe seed out slightly and all this push N95s. And that's going to be their new step. Well, now it's N95s. But you see, the point is, that's the same discussion. N95s are also not statistically significant against transmission. So it's just one, it's it's the extension of the of the illusion, in my opinion. I'm getting ahead of myself. I think that's what's going to happen, but we'll wait and see. But let's focus just on this one for now. This title, the, the, the study, we're, not, we're barely even going to read this because... It's more about the study itself, as we are on the show, but is entitled Correlation Between Mass Compliance and COVID-19 Outcomes in Europe. Here's the study itself, peer-reviewed. Let's go through the main parts of this, okay? April 19th. Now, also ask yourself, it's strange, isn't it? This came out on April 19th, and we know that the, corp the corporate media are just aggressively invested in discussing masks and whether or not they're good. But weird how when this one comes out, they don't just dead silence. But you know, if they came out with a very, very quick 30-second observational study that said they're the best things in sliced bread, well, they would be like, this ends the debate. It's all over, which they've done already multiple times. But I just want to point out, it's interesting that they choose to just kind of be very quiet when these things come out. And that shows you an inherent level of dishonesty. Masking was the mo single most common non-pharmaceutical intervention in the course of the coronavirus disease pandemic. The aim of this sort of this short study was, and it's, it's interesting they say short though, because I mean, it's, I'll show you the time frame compared to what they've already done before. It doesn't seem very short, but this is what, in comparison to the studies that they used to do that were, you know, a year, two years, six months, even more than that. This, you know, it's interesting how things have gotten more truncated, but it says the aim of this short study was to analyze the correlation between mask usage against morbidity and mortality rates in 2020 to 2021 Europe, winter in Europe. It's not really short, but 35 different countries in Europe. These findings indicate that countries with high levels of mask compliance did not perform better than those with low mask usage. That's just the abstract. I'll get into more detail. But that alone, by the way, shows you unequivocally, in my opinion, that they don't help. I mean, there's other factors here. You could argue, as they, as they do in the discussion, you know, oh, vaccine status makes a difference, except all it would, my opinion, would do would increase the problem. So if they have higher vaccination rates, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be willing to bet you anything right now. If somebody out there wants to do this, take this information from this study and then compile it alongside the vaccination status of the locations and how much you want to bet, the higher the vaccination percentage, the higher the risk, the higher the mortality rate and the higher the problems they're seeing. That's my opinion. 
just based on everything else we're seeing, I almost find it impossible to believe that wouldn't be the case. But the point to say here is that there's other factors involved. So it shouldn't be taken as an absolute. But the bottom line is their findings indicate that countries of any of the 35 out there that had high levels of mass compliance performed worse than those with lower mask usage. They even compare it in things in, in the discussion to say, well, could it be that they, I'll, I'll just go through and read it. So here's what it says. Results. The brief communication reports the correlation between the, the uh, proportion of mask usage in the population and the number of cases per million and the deaths per million from October 2020 to March 2021 in 35 European countries. And it says the correlation between mask usage and deaths was positive and significant, meaning that the, the more the mask usage, the higher the death. Now, that's correlation, though. They don't, don't, you don't hear that and take that as a, this is absolute, that this more of this means more death. Now, my opinion, it does mean that, that the more you use these masks on a constant re reusable basis, you're just simply going to see an increase in infections, an increase in hospitalizations, and an increase of those things leading to potential death. That's just the reality. That's, again, based on an early peer-reviewed study from 2015 that found that's just the reality, that these things will increase your illness, which always has a translation into some level of more death. So crazy we're challenging the peer-reviewed science as fake news. But the point is, more mask, the correlation means more death, essentially. Now, the Spearsman correlation between mass and deaths was considerably higher in the West than in East European countries. And then it goes on to discuss things that difference could associate with the fact that most populations are, you know, different. Uh, this isn't actually the, the location where they go into. This one just says that more populations in certain locations could play a factor. Like, I actually really appreciate the way they include these things. But the point I was getting at is down here. It says the World Health Organization, as well as other public institutions, strongly recommend the use of masks as a tool to curb COVID transmission. As we all know, they still do. These mandates and recommendations took place, and this is what I find interesting. This is just the reality, as always, even though you will not hear this as the reality from the corporate media across the board. These mandates and recommendations took place despite the fact that most randomized controlled trials carried out before and during COVID-19 concluded that the role of masks in preventing respiratory viral transmission was small, null, or inconclusive. That is not just cloth. That is any and every kind. Now, how many times we need to tell you this? And the point is, not some, but every single one of them before COVID found that it was small, null, or inconclusive. None of them were like, it works perfectly and we should use it for transmission, like they did after COVID. That's why they then say that some where to say right there, it says most random controlled trials. The reason they say that is because the only ones they're talking about are the ones that happened mid COVID-19. And they did these very short ones. And some of them were random controlled trials. But the point is that they didn't, it's incredibly contradictory to what they find in everything found before and everything of the real random controlled trial peer-reviewed science is continuing to find. It's interesting, isn't it? Why? So how can you have all of this background science and the science that's still being done, and yet this one weird fluke from the CDC that says it works beautifully and better than anything ever, which is pretty much what they do. I'm kind of being facetious. You know, obviously that's not what it exactly says, but they make it out to be this groundbreaking thing that's going to help everybody be safe no matter what. And it just is completely, I mean, diametric opposite to what these are finding. How is that possible? I think you know, you know my opinion. But it says mask mandates were normally implemented. Just to miss the point, what they're saying there is they push these in regardless, despite the science. Hear that. Because yes, you can say, well, that one says they worked. But the point is the body of evidence, which is how this is supposed to work. The body of peer-reviewed science 
pretty clearly said that they did either were inconclusive or were not effective enough to use. And yet they pushed them anyway. I just, that's one of the most clear points you can ever see in this dynamic. When it says mask mandates were normally implemented after the peak of COVID-19 cases in the first wave, which might have gave, given the impression that the drop in a number of cases was caused by the increment in the mask usage. Now, this is a point that we keep making and a point that they even acknowledge as we get into the next point about the flu deaths and previous pre-COVID-19, that with polio or what was the other one, the, good, the other good reference, it was polio and there was, I'm forgetting the other one, but polio for specifically was such an obvious, it, it, the history of this is clear if you don't look, just take what you're being told the history is by corporate media, but actually take a minute to digest and dive through, do your due diligence. You'll find that there's a lot of discussion, even from mainstream people, even from the creator of the injection himself that, way, that, that casts doubt on whether or not they simply were catching the tail end of an already declining problem. And in fact, once they gave the injections, polio and, and other examples, it increased the issue, but then it went back down again. And they go, look, it worked. It went down. Now, it could have. Sure, that's certainly possible. Or it could be, like they're admitting here, that there was already a natural decline happening. And in fact, the injections only made it worse for a brief period before it continued to decline. So what they're saying is that mass mandates were normally implemented after we're already seeing a rise. Or excuse me, after, after the peak is what they're pointing at, at the peak of COVID. So they're at the problematic situation. They... De- you know, scream, everybody get masks on. And then all of a sudden you see it naturally continue to go down. They go, look, masks work. But as they point out, then they go back up and they, they don't care to point that out and why the mask didn't then stop it. They simply just go, who knows? Maybe it's a new variant, right? As, it, as if the unknown then makes their point for them. But for instance, it says the peak of cases in Germany's first wave occurred in the first week of April 2020. While masks became mandatory in all of Germany's federal states between the 20th and 29th of April. At a time when the pr- propagation of COVID-19 was already declining, which, of course, they did not stop from saying, look, they worked and they did do that. Furthermore, the mask mandate was still in place in the subsequent autumn winter wave of 2020 to 2021. But it did not help preventing the outburst of cases and deaths in Germany that was several fold more severe than the first wave. Now, just we, you know, we're just reading this directly from the study, especially those on the podcast. I'm of the mind that a lot of this is not even necessarily COVID, if that's even what we're talking about. So hear that, and we're going to get into that more in the next part. But just as the study's finding, all we're really using is what they're discussing to show you that masks are not even remotely what they keep lying to you about. In fact, they're hurting you. The findings presented in this short communication suggest that, that, that countries with high levels of mask compliance did not perform better than those with low mask usage. Now, yes, you could say that that's just a fluke, except that it happened pretty ubiquitously. But you could argue there's some other reason that happened. Sure, because we're honest, we'll give you that. We're objective. But the bottom line is you have to recognize that if it's pretty, the 35 countries, if you're seeing this continued this continued correlation, this continued issue, where the people with higher mask uses have a higher problem, you at the very least should stop forcing it until you figure out what's really going on. But they won't do that, which tells you everything. One of these factors could have been different vaccination rates among the studied countries. Now, right, that's fair, right? Again, I would argue that it would only be higher in that problem because it would hurt them. You're going to have more blood clots and everything else. But it says, however, this is unlikely given the fact that at the end of the period analyzed in this study, 31st of March, 2021, vaccination rollout was only still at its beginning, right? So all these things they're addressing and going, you could argue that, but here's why that's not fair. So what else is there? Here's the conclusion. While no cause-effect conclusions could be inferred, <coughs> excuse me, could be inferred from this observational analysis, 
The lack of negative correlations between mask usage and COVID cases and deaths suggests that the widespread use of masks at a time when an effective intervention was most needed, i.e. during the strong 2021 autumn winter peak, was not able to reduce COVID transmission. So when they say negative correlation, that means that they didn't, they, that would mean it went down, right? So they don't see that. They're not seeing cases drop once masks are instituted. Then it goes on to say, moreover, the moderate positive correlation, not small, but moderate correlation between mask usage and death in Western Europe, in these countries, 35, also suggests that the universal use of masks may have had harmful, unintended consequences. Well, look at that. It's almost like you've heard this somewhere before, right? It's infuriating. And the problem is that they're still pushing it right now in the face of the peer-reviewed science that comes out. Observational, random control trial, and otherwise. They don't care. If they're going to keep pushing it, and like I said, I, I predict that all they're going to really do is just go, okay, fine, these ones, but here's N95s, which you all have to use now. And in the meantime, guess what they've been making and, and they're going to sell to you? <laughs> or what, you know what I mean? The, 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 uh, the uh, I'm blanking on the term all of a sudden, the, production, the Defense Production Act. You know, they're probably been pumping these things out nonstop right now. Who knows what's going on there? Bottom line is, guys, this is the this is yet another peer-reviewed study that's telling you what we keep telling you, and yet we're getting censored for discussing this. And again, we're not telling you this is the absolute. They're all killing you. I have my opinions, and I'm allowed to state that. I'm allowed to say that I think these things are dangerous. It's amazing that that's somehow not allowed in the free speech land that we pretend to live in. But the bottom line is, what I am telling you is that this is relevant and is being disregarded by the very people pretending to fight for your health and your safety. Now, here is just an inclusion of a lot of the different masks. You know, I've done so many cover, cover uh, videos, episodes on masks, whether specifically focused on it or different parts of it. So I'm just going to include the ones I have linked in the articles in this. So if you want to check them out, this one is from uh, November 2022nd. 2020, all the way back in the beginning, the great mask deception. And you'll see the evolution of the conversation, even of my own understanding of this stuff, right? Do masks cause bacterial pneumonia? Yes. 100%. They, not that they do every time, all the time, but 100% masks can directly lead to you getting bacterial pneumonia, which, by the way, is contagious, which means you can then spread that, which, by the way, has the exact same symptoms of COVID-19. Look at that. Now, don't forget that because the next part we're going to get into in regard to the deception of the flu is very relevant in regard to how you can frame pneumonia as whatever you want it to be to drive vaccine sales. Here's what Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, PhD, said about that when I asked him on our interview. I have an interesting theory, and really it's based on the facts and the science, that there, there, you know, there is an issue happening, especially with the season in regard to the masking and, and bacterial buildup that is causing bacterial pneumonia. And I, I mean, it, it seems like a basic conclusion to come to, but it's big conspiracy theory today to even make such a claim. But I find uh, that actually- to be- if you have thoughts, go ahead. Well, not my thoughts. They're the thoughts of Jim Meehan. I interviewed him on my podcast on Breaking Science. I'm sorry to interrupt. But uh, Jim Meehan, MD, he, he said, if you mask all day long and you mask these kids all day long, they're going to get bacterial infections. Adults are going to get bacterial pneumonia. It's a given in medicine that that's going to happen. Oops, sorry, let that go too long. So, you know, and I, I respect James Lyons-Weiler a lot. He was on this from the very beginning. You remember, he's one of the first people to really go after this, calling out uh, pathogenic priming. Uh, they, uh, what was the other term? 
any case, calling out the antibody-dependent enhancement discussion, right? That that's what we're dealing with here. It's very clear. Here's some other ones. The mask science is clear. Funny I said that. If you are doubting the science behind wearing a mask, watch this video. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous how obvious this has always been. I mean, look back at the dates. This is July 25th, 2020. Here's a, a clip we put out. Masks are making you sick, and it seems that is simply part of the plan. This is a combination of a couple different shows from 2021. And then here is just a general search for masks, because there's so many in there that just aren't even, like, maybe not even in the title, but there's a good part of it, and so on. Oh, I know. That's <laughs> someone's laughing at me. Who is that heavy, that overweight guy in that video? Yeah, it's just, it's just, I'm, I'm glad this kind of drove me to, to get in better shape, which we should all be trying to do, right? But. Going to the next part. Now, guys, this, I just really, this is so incredibly important. Now, a lot of you have seen this uh, many times, and I've, I've briefly kind of discussed these these two, and even the third one I'm going to show, kind of here and there intermittently to make points and, and brought it up many times, and I'll show you how they're also deleted. I don't want you to see them today. I on the way back machine. We'll show you. But just that this is something that even the, they're from internally, they were calling out before saying that this is ridiculous. Why are you combining these things? Why This is a, a, a pandemic of fear. You're basically using fear to sell vaccines. Like, like four years ago. And, and here we are where we're, we can, even suggesting that that might be possible is just blasphemy in the scientism that we found ourselves in. How is that possible? I think I think you know it's been controlled. People have been moved away from these positions. There's people now in place that, that toe the line. The bottom line is, you know, it's honest and fair to argue that it could be happening. That's just in, that's just being objective and honest. But going to the next discussion, I, I forget who sent me this all of a sudden, but they, I appreciate it who did because this is a really important part of the conversation to show you the continuity of this, or rather, the lack of continuity that suddenly everything shifted when they just decide to just like Ukraine. How suddenly they're just no longer what they just said they were because narrative change, right? Same thing. This is. Weirdly enough, 2014. Updated March 26, 2014. Timing is weird, the correlation with Night on Square and everything else, but and the bio labs and what are going on over there. But the bottom line is Huffington Post wrote this article January 24, 2014. Here's what it says. Don't believe everything you read about flu deaths. Can you even imagine? Like if I put that out as a headline, they would call you fake news today. The Huffington Post would call you fake news. They wrote an article fact-checking your fake news. But here they are. Same point we're going to make with the same information, but it's fake news today. Think about that. As it says, quote, the typical estimate, I'll, I'll read this first, actually. The CDC's decision to play up flu deaths dates back a decade. <laughs> Very blatant. You wouldn't even be allowed to say that they play up flu deaths today, right? They call it fake news. When it realized the public wasn't following its advice on flu vaccines. So what does that say? They scared you about flu because they wanted to sell vaccines. You mean the company that doesn't sell vaccines, according to Twitter? Yeah, exactly. Not yeah, Well, I, fair, I didn't mean to say company, but it's actually pretty fair. The CDC has a, a direct interest in the sale of vaccines, and yet they're the ones that are supposed to make sure they're safer. How does that possibly make sense? It's a conflict of interest. It's like the EPA having a, an interest in selling oil. It would make no sense. Anybody honest can admit that. So when they scare you to sell flu vaccines, they argue it's for your best interest, but is it? You were allowed to ask that question, and so too were they back then, but not today. During the 2003 flu season, quote, the manufacturers were telling us that they weren't receiving a lot of orders for vaccines. You've heard this before. We've talked about this. This came from NPR at the time. Now it says the typical estimate, is there's going to be a little bit of overlap here, 
from the, the next ones we get into, the typical estimate is 36,000 deaths a year in the United States, citing the CDC, that's NBC. But it says, court from Canada reporting the same thing, those numbers are controversial because they are estimates, which, by the way, most Americans don't know. They guess. The numbers differ wildly. Oh, and by the way, they're guessing about your numbers, too, for COVID. I've proven to you this a thousand times from even their own statements in there. But if you go and say that on Twitter, they'll call you fake news. The numbers differ wildly from the sober tallies recorded on death certificates. By law, every certificate must show a cause and reported by the official agencies that collect and keep vital statistics. So basically saying when you actually look at what's on the death certificates, it's not the same. Hmm. That's interesting. According to the National Vital Statistics System in the U.S., for example, annual flu deaths in 2010. Remember, they said 36,000 a year in the United States, according to the CDC. In 2010, those deaths for the flu amounted to just 500. Fewer deaths than from ulcers in that year, or from hernias, or pregnant and childbirth issues. A far cry from big killers such as heart disease and cancers. A little over half a million. The story is similar in Canada, where unlikely killers, likewise dwarf statistic Canada's, count of flu deaths. So on the record, it's 500 a year, but they're screaming 36,000. Why? I think you know, because they combine pneumonia. Now, why did they do that? Well, that's what this gets into. They realized, well, gee, we, we have a staggeringly low sale of flu vaccines. So what do we do? Let's find a way to make it look more scary. This is not the guys. This is literally what happened and what they are even reporting right here. But today would be fake news. Even that 500 figure figure for the U.S. could be too high, according to analyses in authoritative journals, such as the American Journal of Public Health and the British Medical Journal, which, of course, would be fake news if they came out with it today. Here's the one we'll get into next. Are U.S. flu deaths figures more PR than science? Yes. But we'll come back to it. Only about 15 to 20 percent of people who come down with flu-like symptoms have the flu virus. The other 80 to 85 percent actually caught coronavirus or other germs that are indistinguishable from the flu without laboratory tests, which are rarely done. Now, of course, you could insert a PCR test right there and it'd be the same illusion we have today. In 2001, a year in which death certificates listed 257 Americans as having died by the flu. That's it. Only 18 of those were positively identified. So bottom line is 36,000 people die a year from the flu. They say, well, 18 of them were only 18 were ever actually verified. You could argue that's in your best interest just to be safe. But of course, you know that this is an overlap to get to the COVID part of this where they're forcing this on people. But get, but the idea that there there are situations where this flu shot has been forced on children. To be able to go to school. Yes, that is happening. Senator Pan, the maniac in California. Well, there's an article you should look up on the you know on the on Last American Vagabond, where we discussed this way back when when they were pushing in a mandatory injection discussion for children. <clears throat> and these things have negative side effects, but that's a whole other conversation, just like we're seeing today, that would be attacked right now the same way. But 257, that's it. Only 18 actually verified. The other 239 were simply assumed to be flus. And most likely had a couple of flus in there. But bottom line is even that, even if you assume all of those were flu, that's still dramatically less than 36,000 a year. U.S. data on influenza deaths are a mess, according to the 2005 article in the British Medical Journal, entitled the ones I just read to you. Are they more PR than science? This article takes an issue with the 36,000 flu death figure commonly claimed. And by the way, 
even as it was being attacked here, and when it was attacked later by the WHO, and it was attacked later by the HHS, guess what? It never changed. Right up until right now, they still cite that number. It says, and with describing influenza pneumonia as one thing, as the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S., just like they're doing with COVID-19 today, which includes not just COVID-19 and pneumonia, but it also includes the flu. POC, or PIC, excuse me. It stands for pneumonia, influenza, and COVID. I should have actually brought that up, to be honest. Let's see if I just do that, if somebody's written about it or something. PIC. Oh, maybe that'll do it right there. I just want to find one thing that shows you what I'm talking about. I've shown you this many times on this show, but how at the end of the day, they combine all of these in their reportings. I'll come back to it, or maybe I'll include one after the fact and get it to you. But you guys have seen this before, and it says it's listed right on there. Actually, you know what it might be? Let me check the flu view. I think that was the one that had that listed. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, well, I don't want to waste too much time. I swear it was in here, though. Maybe they put it to a different location. Oh, I, you know, while we're here, we should look at what, what they're stating is going on right now. It's funny how f- the flu part of this just vanishes, which is obviously the point we've making. Now, I don't have to get too sidetracked. <clears throat> I'll come back and I'll include one of these after the fact. Yeah. Oh, I found it. Nice. Okay. So it says right here, National Center for Health Statistics Mortality Surveillance. And this is it right there. Percentage of all deaths due to PIC. PIC. Right here. Now, this is the point. It says, based on the surveillance as of April 28, 2022, 6.8% of deaths that occurred during this week were due to pneumonia, influenza, and or COVID. Now, that number is point is referenced as COVID-19 everywhere else. I've made this clear a thousand times. So why would that, ask yourself this, if only 6.8% of deaths were were due to all three of those things combined, isn't it pretty clear that COVID-19 is not, I mean, it's just, it's so obvious that we're being deceived here. I'll, I'll leave this in and include this, but it goes forward to say, why are flu and pneumonia bundled together? According to the British medical journals asking that. That's a good question, isn't it? Seemingly never been answered. Is the relationship so strong or unique to warrant characterizing them as a single cause of death? The article's answer is no. You know, just that small conspiracy outlet called the British Medical Journal. Most pneumonia deaths are unrelated to influenza. See, not even just, they're trying to argue they're all secondary without even verifying that they're even flu to begin with. But even then, the experts will tell you that most of them aren't even related to the influenza issue, but they're going and just labeling it all 36,000 anyway. Why? To sell vaccines, just like they're pushing today. And it's amazing that we could argue that, but we're fake news conspiracy theorists. Well, here is the exact situation. I mean, verbatim, except we're talking about flu and pneumonia instead of flu, pneumonia, and COVID, and the vaccine that comes after that. The CDC itself acknowledges the slim relationship, which they'll never say today, though, saying, quote, only a small proportion of deaths, only 8.5% of all pneumonia and influenza deaths are influenza-related. So explain that. How is it possible that they can admit that only 8.5% of all of the cases are influenza-related, yet they dump most of them into that number to make 36,000? or rather today, all of them into COVID-19, why pneumonia and influenza just disappeared. Because death certificates belie uh, claims of numerous flu deaths, 
meaning they're not written on those death certificates. Therefore, you can see that they're not actually there. CDC enlists computer models to arrive at that 36,000 number, which means they're guessing. And when they guess very self-servingly, after telling you they need to increase vaccine sales, it should be very obvious what's happening, especially when they get called out by all the other people in the positions of authority. But even here, it needed to bend controvert conventional medical terminology, Huffington Post writes, to arrive at compelling death numbers. Basically, so that's the Huffington Post outright stating that they had to manipulate their terminology to arrive at the numbers they needed to scare you into getting injected. That's what it says right there. That's their, That's what they have framed, not me. I do agree with that, though. You know what that's called? That's called changing definitions, manipulating the terminology to get you to think what they want you to think is happening. That's even listed in the other ones as well. Because the flu was rarely an underlying cause of death, the CDC simply created a sound-alike term, which you've heard, influenza-associated death. Well, gee, we've heard that before. COVID-associated death. You see, because if you can't tie it to, you could just argue that it's associated. And that's what they did here, building the, setting the table for where we are now. And even then, even the corporate media was calling them out for it. Well, that's a little bit deceptive. Yeah, it was then, and it still is now. So why is it still being used? Because it's meant to be deceptive. Using this new loose definition, which I agree with, but you wouldn't hear after post call it the COVID definition loose today, would you? How do you explain that? You know, using this new loose definition, the CDC's computer models could tally people who died of a heart ailment or other causes after having the flu. Right. You mean like somebody who gets in a car accident after getting a PCR test and they still go down as a COVID-19 death? Exactly like that. That's what they're telling you and they're happy to admit it then. The CDC's response was its seven-step recipe for generating interest in and demand for flu vaccinations, a slideshow presented at the 2004 National Influenza Vaccine Summit, which we'll reference again in a moment. The point is this, this next whole section goes on to discuss what we're going to read to you in a moment, where they basically say, well, gee, guys, we're not selling enough vaccines. What are we going to do? Well, you saw what they did. That's what followed. That happened. Then they lumped together pneumonia. And you ask, well, gee, is that connected to, your, to the discussion for needing to sell more vaccines? No, no, it just happened. It's just coincidence. So they say, we need to sell more vaccines. How do we do that? Well, we need to scare people. So how do we scare them? Well, we increase the numbers. But yeah, it's just coincidence, though. Even as the Huffington Post calls them out for exactly doing that. Even as the CDC, excuse me, the British Medical Journal, the HHS, and WHO all called them out for doing the same thing. But just coincidence, though. What a coincidence, theorist. The CDC unabashedly decided to create a, well, I guess I shouldn't call them coincidence theorists. It's a positive thing, I guess, right? So they're the conspiracy theorists. But anyway, the CDC unabashedly decided to create a mass market for the flu vaccine by enlisting the media into panicking the public. That's the Huffington Post writing that. An obedient and unquestioning media obliged by hyping the numbers. And 10 years later, it is still obliging still. It is obliging still. You would never see them even dare to say that about even the flu right now. If I said this, the Huffington Post would fact check me and call me fake, even about the flu right now. Same with that Ukraine and everything else we're talking about. So this was written in 2014. So they're talking about 2004 today. Then you can go another, you know, eight, seven, eight years. And here we are, same thing happening, but you won't see them cover it. Now, to make this even more relevant. Oh, that's the PIC. Here is 
first of all, what they referenced in that article. This is published 2005, so two years after the, the, the shift, but, uh, you know, whatever it was, 2014, so nine years before this article was written by the Huffington Post. This was from Harvard University. This is important to hear. This is what it states. U.S. data on influenza deaths are a mess. The CDC acknowledges a difference between flu death and the flu-associated death, yet uses the terms interchangeably. That's just simple dishonesty, guys. And that way they can play it whichever way they want, just like we're seeing with COVID. Additionally, there are significant statistical incompatibilities between official estimates and national vital statistics data. So another example of dishonesty. Compounding these problems is, hear this, a marketing of fear, according to Harvard University, written on the BMJ about the CDC, a CDC communication strategy in which medical experts, quote, predict dire outcomes during flu seasons. You know why, they, why they're saying this? Because this is what they discussed openly at, what was the name of it again? The National Influenza Vaccine Summit, like a sales campaign where they're talking about how do we increase vaccine sales? Marketing fear. And then they did. And here's the BMJ and Harvard saying this is what they're doing. Right. But it's all conspiracy theory, though. Right. Because Fox News and CNN said otherwise. It says the CDC website states that what has become commonly accepted and widely reported in lay scientific press, that this number, the 36,000 number. Is bit where was the point? Is there's relationship? Oh, we literally read this paragraph in the other article. As you can see, that's what I was going to say. There's a little redundancy. It says, is it warranting? Is it enough to warrant a single cause of death? The point is, this is David Rosenthal, director of Harvard University's Health Services. You know that small conspiracy outlet. Quote: People don't necessarily die per se of the flu. What they die of is secondary pneumonia. So many of the pneumonias are not viral pneumonias, but secondary. And he goes on to say the same discussion, guys. Same thing. You have to actually have an account to log into this, but I'll show you where else this is listed. It's on HHS as well. But he's citing the studies, peer-reviewed, showing you that this is a more PR than science. Which, by the way, they, they list most of what they say in here. I just didn't read it because we're going to go here and read it next. Now, this jumps to 2011. This next one is 2017, I believe, from the HHS. This has more of the same. This actually exact paragraph I'll read is the same as the other one. But here's the point. How is it possible, guys, the WHO, the British Medical Journal, Harvard, HHS, Health and Human Services, all of them called this out, and yet it didn't change. It's still happening now. In fact, it's just also happening with COVID-19. It says, the repeated pandemic health scares caused by H5N1 and H1N1, human influenza virus, are part of a culture of fear. They call this, these are not actually what this is, they, they discuss this very clearly. H1N1, by the way, was another one that was shown to be not even remotely what it turned out to be. They hyped it and scared and yelled, and it wasn't even close. Rather than wait for information, God forbid, they discussed needing a preemptive strike. That's what people like Fauci are doing, right? We need to get ahead of it right now, right? Don't wait for evidence. We need to jump ahead. Emergency authorize it. We need to get ahead. That's what they're doing. The precautionary stocking of largely useless antivirals and irrational vaccination policies against an unusually benign H1N1, which they still pretend was a huge pandemic right now, wasted billions of euros and eroded the trust in public health. Sorry, that the ship had sailed a long time ago, but this is the WHO calling this out. The pandemic policy was never, never informed by evidence. I mean, come on, guys. In both pandemics of fear, 
the exaggerated claims of a severe public health threat stemmed primarily from disease advocacy by influenza experts, people like Dr. Fauci, in the highly competitive market of health governance. Not about what's best for you guys. It's about it's about the advocacy experts and health governance, the struggle for attention and their budgets. And the grants they're trying to fight for are fierce. So it says the pharmaceutical industry and the media only reacted to this welcome boon. Who cares if it's true? This benefits us. You see how that works? This is what it looked like when there was even a shred of, shred of honesty still coming out of these. And by the way, as I've looked into before, both of these people are no longer there. And you could find some interesting stuff on the Twitter feeds that might just interest you. But the bottom line is, it's how this works, where people that call it out get shoveled, shuffled aside. Then it says, disease experts wish to capture public attention and sway resource allocation decisions in favor of the disease and their interest. Yeah, sounds like what's happening today. Finally, the key to responsible policymaking is not bureaucracy, but accountability and independence from these interest groups. Like the CDC, these are, they're, they're supposed to be discussing and giving you advice, but not supposed to be deciding things for everybody. That's the point. And as it says, exactly what we just read before, decisions, as the WHO called out in 2011, decisions must be based on adaptive responses to emerging problems, not definitions. Now you tell me what's happened. Uh, if, I mean, if anything has happened during this process, it's been be guided by definitions they then alter to meet what they're actually doing. Herd immunity, vaccine, everything, natural immunity. I mean, all of it. They've been adapting and changing and manipulating. And this is what they called out. And that's why they got rid of these people. Here's HHS. Now, this one is a is a from one of the people involved with HHS, one of the doctors basically putting this comment out there. But this is taken a lot of the paragraphs directly from, as it says, David Rosenthal, Harvard University. But it says, and this is David's same comments. U.S. on influence are false and misleading. The CDC acknowledges the difference, yet uses them interchangeably. There's incompatibilities with what they're showing you and what they have. Compounding these problems is a marketing of fear. Yet again, there's your discussion. The CDC communication strategy in which medical experts simply predict the worst outcomes to sell vaccines, guys. The CDC, and this is the part that I just read before, commonly accepted the widely reporting 36,000 flu and influenza pneumonia, seventh leading cause of death in the United States, and that's how they sell these things. But why, they say, are, he says, are flu and pneumonia bundled together? Is the relationship so strong to warrant the same cause of death, which I just reported? But he goes on to say, this director of Harvard Health Human Services, Harvard University Health Services, excuse me, said people don't necessarily die of the flu per se. What they die of, what they die of is a secondary pneumonia. So many of these pneumonias are not viral pneumonias, but secondary pneumonias, he says. But Dr. Rodensall agreed that the flu-pneumonia relationship was not unique. For instance, a recent study, a JAMA peer-reviewed study, found that stomach acid-suppressing drugs are associated with a higher risk of community-acquired pneumonia. But such drugs and pneumonia are not compiled as a single statistic, are they? CDC states that the historic Hong Kong flu pandemic killed 34,000 Americans. At the same time, CDC claims 36,000 Americans die every, every year from the flu. What's going on? How can you have a historic pandemic of 34,000, yet every year we casually discuss 36? They're scaring you. And it's not rooted in, in fact, as the CDC, the BMJ, or excuse me, the BMJ, WHO, and as I'm pointing out, are all calling out back then. Meanwhile, according to the CDC's National Statistics for Health Statistics, excuse me, National Center for Health Statistics, quote, influenza and pneumonia took 62,000 lives in 20, 2001, 61,000 of which were attributed to pneumonia, only 257 of which to the flu. 
and this is what we just told you earlier, in that case, only 18 of them were actually identified. So why are we continuing to say that we know that? Between 1979 and 2002, the National Center for Health Statistics, the data show an average 1,348 flu deaths per year, range between 257 to 3,006. The NCHS data would be compatible with the CDC mortality estimates if about half of the deaths classed by them as pneumonia were actually flu-initiated secondary pneumonias, but their criteria indicate uh, otherwise. Quote, cause of death statistics are based solely on the underlying cause of death, defined by the WHO as the disease or injury which initiated the train of events leading directly to death. So, they're basically using, they're contradicting themselves within their own information. Quote, it says, typically influenza causes death when the infection leads to severe medical complications. And as most such cases are never tested for virus infection, the CDC considers them to be an undercount, but the bottom line is they don't know. You're not even testing for these things and you're conflating things and adding numbers and you're, and you're not even abiding by the, same, the very definition you claim to be using to make this argument. CDC's model calculated an average annual 36 and change deaths from influenza-associated underlying respiratory and circulating causes. Less than a quarter of those were described as flu or flu-associated underlying pneumonia deaths. Thus, the much-publicized figure of 36,000 is not an estimate of yearly flu death. This is really important to hear, as widely reported. But, in fact, an estimate generated by a model of flu-associated death. Think about how abstract that is. So they're not just guessing based on last year. They're taking a model of flu-associated death, which in that 90% of that's not even flu, according to most of the experts. Then they're estimating based on that model of associated death, and that's what they're using to scare you and to get flu shots. Bottom line is, you don't need these things based on their own data. More, you'd, be more, more, you'd be better off getting something addressing the pneumonia. Right. So why are they pushing this? What's going on? What's inside those? These are all questions we should be asking, because clearly this entire thing is on a foundation of deception. William Thompson of the CDC's National Immunization Program and lead author of the CDC's 2003 JAMA article explained that, quote, influenza associated mortality is a statistical association between deaths and viral data available. He said so they're guessing. He said that an association does not imply an underlying cause of death. So they're saying it anyway. Based on modeling, he says, we think it's associated. I don't know that we would say that it's the underlying cause. However, the CDC does for them anyway. It says, yet this stance is incompatible with the CDC's assertion that it kills 36,000 people. A misrepresentation that has yet to be publicly corrected. This is 2017. So back in 2011, they called it out. 2005. 2014. Now we're at 2022 and we still hasn't been publicly corrected. How is this even possible? Because this is the key central manipulation to all of this right now. Now it says at the, this is the part I skipped before. This is where they're telling you that they're scared. They're hyping all of this to sell injections at the 2004 national influenza vaccine summit co-sponsored, of course, by the CDC, shocker, and the American Medical Association, shocker, look up the Flexner Report and how that's the, the beginning of the manipulation of our medical uh, West, Western medical system. Actually, I'll grab that. I haven't referenced that in quite a while. That's really important to understand, the foundational manipulation of uh, the American Medical Association, the Carnegie's and the Rockefellers, and how they basically hijack your medical system in this country. 
bottom line is they bought out everything, bought out the companies, bought out the, the colleges. Oh, that's weird. I figured that would pop up right away. Hmm. Oh, there it is. Good. I don't know why that's last. I'll include this for you to read as well. Great article, if I do say so myself. <laughs> wrote, wrote it a while back. But the, it's not very long. Oh, of course, there's a video gone. Oh, of course, that's so ridiculous. I I can't believe that. That You know what that was? That was just the, the, the Truth About Cancer series. And this is one of the doctors literally telling you how they're told they're they're uh, basically manipulated in, in medical school, and they're not even told about certain things. Anyway, I'll include that. I don't want to get off the track here. To finish this out, as it says, uh, they basically spoke on using the media, using the media to boost demand for vaccines. That's not my opinion. That's not this opinion. That's what happened. It's on the record. One step of a seven-step recipe, as we pointed out before, for generating interest in and demand for flu or any other vaccination. That's very transparent. So their literal discussion was, how do we increase sales, demand for these injections? And it says it occurs when, quote, medical, that, that they get that when medical experts and public health authorities publicly state concern and alarm and predict dire outcomes and urge influenza vaccination. Well, gee, that's exactly what happened after they jammed together pneumonia to make it look scary. Another step entails continuing reports that influenza is causing severe illness and affecting lots of people, helping foster the perception that many are susceptible to bad case of influenza, which, by the way, statistically is not even remotely true. Preceding the summit, demand had been low in the 2003 season. Quote, it says, at that point, the manufacturers were telling us that we weren't receiving a lot of orders. So it says it really did look like we needed to do something to encourage people to get a shot. If flu is in fact not a major cause of death, as this is clearly showing, this public relations approach is surely exaggerated. Moreover, by arbitrarily linking the flu with pneumonia, current data are statistically biased and still are today, guys. Until corrected and until unbiased statistics are developed, the chances for sound discussion and public health policy are limited. God, it's just unreal. Finally, here's that page on the HHS. It's weird. The page not found. I wonder why. Here it is, of course, in the Wayback Machine. Here's a WHO. Weird. The page can't be found. It's almost like they're quietly censoring all of the background information with no justifiable reason. But here it is right there, saved for you. We live in a very obvious time right now, guys. It's just about what you choose to be objective or to blindly follow. It's as simple as that. That doesn't mean because you're objective that you're always right. You, I, I can make mistakes. People make mistakes all the time. But being objective allows you to correct those mistakes. This is not correcting those mistakes. This is hiding the reality from you actively and in real time. Now, before we shift, I'll have a couple quick more points on COVID. I just want to play this clip for you to realize that this is why stuff is being censored. Like even as we can literally prove in real time what we just showed you, whether masks or the hiding of the, the conflation of the information. I, I, I even discussed this before. Of course, the plenty of the people out there with, you know, two brain cells to rub together or, or less <laughs> are going to say, oh, it's on RT. So I'm going to blindly run away from this and not even acknowledge what it's trying to tell me. But the point is, it doesn't regardless, regardless of where it comes from. Thomas Massey, and regardless of whether it's a politician or what side he's on in the political paradigm, 
the reality is what he's telling you because it is the truth. And it's just easy to play this clip is that the people that are fact checking are getting directly funded from the people that invested in the injections. That's why this is happening today. And that's one reason why it's happening. But that's the that's the general concept of how you're being deceived. Facebook's independent fact checker may not be so independent after all. A U.S. congressman has questioned the impartiality of factcheck.org, which is supposed to tackle vaccine disinformation because it's indirectly funded by jab manufacturer Johnson & Johnson. Who pays the paychecks of the fact checkers? The vaccine fact checkers at factcheck.org, who claim to be independent, are funded by an organization that holds over $1.8 billion of stocks in a vaccine company and is run by a former director of the Centers for Disease Control. Jeez, that's ridiculous. But even worse than just being influenced or have if these people actually own stock, they're actually invested in this company. So even from a personal perspective, they might be influenced to hide bad things because they don't want to see their stock go down. Like, this is just as clear as it could possibly get. This is really obvious. You could argue that that's not the real, the full picture and that that's not, that's only a small factor, but you can't pretend like this is fake news because it's obvious and it's verifiable. So you have to admit that the that human beings are influenced by financial interests. That's the reality. To argue they just wouldn't do this because they're, you know, altruistic is just, not it's childishly naive or choosing to be because you're invested in a political side in any case the fact-checking account responded to the accusations by making clear its funding sources the robert wood johnson foundations one of the benefactors and holds billions in johnson and johnson stock the foundation's ceo is richard besser who was a former acting director of the center for disease control now, by the way, you could also point out this doesn't mean that it is happening, right? This doesn't prove that he's influencing these things to help his stock price or whatever, or that that's even the case. My, the bottom line is there's a lot of these connections. It's just to show you that there is a very obvious conflict of interest happening in every single layer of what went, happened around the vaccines, around COVID-19. It's and, and that's that in and of itself is alarming and dishonest. And they pretend like we're lo- wrong about it until stuff like this quietly squeaks out. But factcheck.org claims there's no interference in its editorial decisions and the foundation's views aren't necessarily reflected in its decisions. Right. But author and liberal studies expert... We'll just take the word for that, right? And maybe that's true. We don't know that. But it's just, it seems kind of ridiculous that we're going to just take their word on this or to argue that maybe they, maybe the person responding to this thinks that's the case, but they don't know how the, how the lead, the person at the top, top, top might be able to influence people to get what he wants. That's just, this is how power works. And financial interests. Michael Rechtenwald believes such connections pose risks to the public. This is absolute collusion on the part of uh, vaccine manufacturers having fun. By the way, just to recognize what this person's title is, which is just kind of hilarious for those that want to pretend it's only conservatives and only this is Michael Rechtenwald, professor of liberal studies at NYU, <laughs> or was anyway. The uh, fact checkers on social media. So we're actually getting to the point where people's lives are being endangered. We've lost all confidence in the social media and our mainstream media entirely. Anything that comes into contradiction with the leftist agenda is deemed misinformation. People are now not able to get information about what's best for their health. Now, of course, he has to frame it as the leftist agenda, which I mean, you know. I don't know why people are so invested in pushing the narrative because all that does is drive that's designed to make people plug their ears. 
We just need to address it as your government because that's what it is anyway, guys. Your government is doing things to you. Anyway, here is the last part before we go into, I think it's the last part. Oh, no, we got two more parts, actually. But this one is just to show you that regardless of what we're discussing or the illusion around the risk in general or the lies of the past showing you that they're lying today or the dangers of the matter, everything else we're talking about or the things we didn't get into today, such as the blood clots and the Bell's palsy and all the mountain of potential side effects that are definitely building that they just won't want to look at. Here's CNBC. Time for a fourth COVID shot. Remember when that was just so stupid, crazy fake news? Wait for the fifth one. If we say fifth, they'll call you fake news too until it happens. Here's why medical professionals aren't are skeptical. Now, guess what? They did this before the third one too. Well, I don't know though. We're not sure. It doesn't look like there's enough evidence and then they just do it anyway. FDA, they come around and then guess who comes out with the same things? Looks like there's plenty and safe and effective. The same outlets. This is about pretending there's due diligence happening. That's my opinion. May 2nd, today. Countries are beginning to offer a fourth dose. That's been happening for a long time. And COVID vaccines to vulnerable groups and plenty of places aren't to anybody. Medical professionals are undecided on whether it would benefit the wider population. But it's already happening, though, for safety, right? Wait a minute. You just said the professionals are not sure, but we're doing it anyway, though, because the media said we should. Questions are being raised over the need for more booster shots as the emergence of more COVID variants may require more targeted vaccines. Yep. I don't agree even that that's what's happening or that that's what we need to do. But the point is from within their narrative, think about how broken this is. They're also telling you that we're making other things because this isn't working, yet then simultaneously forcing this on people or being fired in Australia or whatever the other location was we just showed you yesterday. I forget. But there happens plenty of places doing that right now. No jab, no job. You're going to get fired. You don't get the third one, you're going to get fired, even though they already know that this is hurting people. It's affecting their immune system. That it wanes even if you pretend it's having some effect after weeks. And then you also just showed that people without any injections are dramatically better off in regard to myocarditis. Whether getting after COVID-19 or whatever you want to talk about. right? The, the bottom line is this is in every possible way, even with the peer-reviewed science coming out right now, beginning to show you the reality. And yet, they just plug their ears and stomp their feet and they keep pushing forward. The WHO hasn't given an official recommendation on the fourth dose. And remember in the beginning, can't challenge WHO guidelines. That lasted about 10 seconds before, but we still can't though. Isn't that funny? And there isn't any good evidence at this point in time. Think about what they just said. There's not good evidence about whether this should be used. And yet it's already happening around the world. I don't know what else people need to see. This has long since been even pretend about the science. And it never was. But here's what it says, a couple of interesting parts. Those decisions came as a study from Israel found that although a fourth dose, a fourth dose of Pfizer offers protection against serious illness for at least six weeks. Wow. Protection against serious illness, which by the way, the data doesn't even back that up in the UK and Ontario and, and Alberta and Scotland and everywhere else we can see. That's not even true, by the way. They seem to be lying to you. I mean, here, how about we just on the fly? I could be wrong, right? I don't know what's going to come up. Let's look at Ontario. Gee, I wonder if it's going to be 75% of the ICU. Oh my God, it is. Look at that. Just day to day. I could have guessed. Over 75% of the ICU still as three months every day since. I mean, since we've been looking at this, without fail every day since, there's 75% or more of the entire ICU in Ontario is packed full of only people with injections. Even the unvaccinated category, they lyingly include people that have at least a couple of doses. So that makes the 27 numbers, it's probably 90% plus, if not all of it. But let's just, let's not hypothesize, let's not guess. They're telling you over 75%. 
How do you make sense of that? That's not people that are just kind of dealing with an issue, but people that are so sick, these are only COVID cases, that they have to go into critical care. So how do you explain that as being serious illness reduction? No, sorry, that's not happening. But even if it was happening, you're telling me it lasts for six whole weeks? Wow. You know who that doesn't happen to? People that have natural immunity for whatever we're talking about, that they've even said in the context of COVID-19, every single peer-reviewed journal you can look at, that it's lasting, durable, and robust. And even people that didn't have COVID somehow managed to have immunity anyway. Well, let's keep forcing this thing that then immediately removes their antibodies, which how many times do we need to talk about that? Here's Mr. Bauer. And by the way, they've already admitted this in their own studies that recently came out, that this is the reality, but yet they keep hiding from it. So the key message from our finding is that we found that recipients of the Pfizer vaccine, those who've had two doses, have about five to six-fold lower amounts of neutralizing antibodies. Now, these are the sort of gold standard private security uh, antibodies of your immune system, which block the virus from getting into your cells in the first place. So we found that that's less for people with two doses. We've also found that for people with only one dose of the Pfizer jab, that they are less likely to have high levels of these antibodies in their blood. Have your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus but the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients. I still do plan to do that. I have it all listed out still. I just I, Everything seems to be more relevant at the moment. But the, I'm going to get into the Red Cross discussion again because they, they admitted something on Twitter that I find very relevant. But all of these show you what is now being admitted in abstract ways around the peripheral. This is clear, guys. It's amazing how much has been there that people just don't want to look at. But as it says, six weeks later, gone. It provides, and that's that, by the way, that starts happening instantaneously, as I guess I'll include this too. Been taking just to looking up, uh, oh shoot. Okay, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Rebel News. Oh, for crying out loud, what's the, what's the leader, the, the main guy of Rebel News? Dang it. Well, that's frustrating. I can blank on his name. I was going to say, oh, that's how I look it up. It's nice and easy for crying out loud. Leader, I guess. <laughs> uh, there it is. Ezra Levant. Jeez, why am I having such a memory problem today? There we go. So here, just I'll include this for you guys to look at as well, just because that's a really important one to reference. But the point is that it's not just six weeks later that it just suddenly happens. What this shows you is that it's instant. From one to 30 days, it's already down to 55% relative risk reduction, which is not even remotely what they want you to think it is. But then it goes down to negative 76, which means you have an increased 76% relative risk reduction chance of getting sick. But that's after 90. So the point is after one day, this thing diminishes. One day. And it continues to. But then it goes on to say it provides only short-lived protection against infection. Which, by the way, it doesn't even do. They continually admit that. It continues to show you that it's not stopping transmission. 
But then it goes on to say the medical consensus so far is that there hasn't been enough research on how much protection the fourth dose can offer. Well, I can tell you it's the same as the first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and however many you've given. Because it's the same damn thing. Now, yes, I understand that it has different effects if your body's in a different place. But let's be clear. The, the confusion here is that it's not about whether the injection is working. It's that your body is no longer working. And this thing is having an effect. And, this, and the more this injection continues to pump into your body, the more it continues to fail. If your body was working, it would continue to produce the antibodies like it does in a natural infection situation. But now you're stuck on this routine hamster wheel of getting the thing you need to not, I guess, to maintain an immune system. I mean, it's, this is alarming. Quote, what we know from immunology, and this is a very dishonest statement. They're framing it as all of immunology. What we know from immunology, or rather the article is, is that you give enough, if, if you give another booster, which when's the last time we have booster conversations this commonly, you will see a temporary increase in neutralizing antibodies. But what we've also seen is that these neutralizing antibodies will wane quite rapidly, this person says to see. Okay, so we know that from immunology in the past except that we've only ever done these specific mRNA ones. Now, the bottom line is that's not what she's saying. If they they either misquoted her or she's trying to make it sound like all of this is known to us from before, because in classic understanding of this, here's what happens. You get a shot like a chicken pox is discussion, or, you know, I shouldn't, that's a bad example because really you get, get chicken pox and you get natural immunity, which is the reality, but anything else you get a shot, right? Produces antibodies and then you're done. And then if it's working properly, your immune system's working properly, you'll continue to make antibodies until it's no longer a problem. Then you have T cells in memory B, which store it. And then that gets handed down through your genetics to your family and when you have children. And that's how that's supposed to work. That is what we know from immunology. When she pretends that we see this rapid increase after boosters, after compounding boosters, and then but we know it reduces the rapidly. Ap- no, that's not. Never have we seen that before. We've never seen a situation where you go get your next booster and it removes the antibodies from your blood, or that they rapidly decrease after the more boosters you get. This is a wild west situation here, and your body is the field. They are playing this out and experimenting on you, as Obama admitted, as. Gates admitted, as everybody else admitted, this is a real-world experiment. Israel calls themselves Pfizer's lab. But yeah, we're all conspiracy theorists, right? This is just simply dishonest. Quote, this happened after the third dose, and it's happened after the fourth dose. Yeah, it's also happened after the first and the second, and we've been showing you this the entire time. Why would you think it'd be different? But they're going to keep giving it. That's the point. Now, finally... A couple of clips I wanted to play before we finish off on the just the ghost of Kiev is the last part of the show. Here's Meryl Nass. If you haven't seen her discussions, you should. Dr. Meryl Nass, she does great work pointing out exactly what we've always been talking about. Both in regard to this new study from Remdesivir, but you should look at her discussions about the pandemic of the injected conversations as well as, I mean, it, there's a lot of great work coming out of her direction. But we're also going to talk about Dr. Mubin again. Just play these quick clips for you, and you can take a listen. This one says, it's from from Nat who shared it, the FDA approved remdesivir for kids, which we already discussed, based on a trial, this is the important part, in which three out of 53 children died. Not shocking, seeing as how 53% of people died in the New England Journal of Medicine trial they did for Ebola using remdesivir, but three out of 53 died. Extrapolate that out to the population, and it will scare the hell out of you. And we're seeing that happen right now. But she also says, quote, over 70% of those kids that didn't die had an adverse effect. 21% of the ones that didn't die had a serious adverse effect. 
Think about how crazy that is. And that's passing? That's approvable for the FDA? Event. And three of the children died. Because there was no control group, it's unclear how either Gilead or the FDA determined that the drug benefited children because there's nothing to compare it to. Um, so on the basis of 53 children who were apparently collected from 37 different sites so that if the drug was really doing something bad, nobody would know it because there was only about one and a half children per site that were part of the trial. Um, for the outpatients, it's recommended for mild or moderate disease. So you don't have to be very sick. Um, you just have to have the expectation that you might get very sick. It's just, I mean, it just, it makes me sick to really think about what she just said and that they're disregarding the reality of the safety uh, signals and then just making a situation where they're going to use this on pretty much anybody. Just a hypothetical situation where we might do, I mean, this is so incredibly alarming and we want to talk about early treatment. That should be the prophylactic. We're talking about ivermectin or whatever else. There's plenty of other things other than that. I don't try to endorse anything, but these have shown pretty clearly the, the new Japanese study that, should, that found directly antiviral properties or the fact that there's 20 random controlled trials that all find an effect, a very prominent effect against reducing COVID-19. All that's on the record, peer-reviewed studies, random controlled trials, but it's all fake news according to the Twitterverse or wherever else you want to reference. Just makes me sad. So here's Dr. Mobin, who, by the way, has been doing great work. I, I find him to be very objective. Like in the beginning, he was kind of in the same boat about, you know, trusting the authorities and, and reciting what the CDC said, but was always very skeptical. And I appreciated that. And I've watched him have these great discussions where he is getting this new information and not afraid to stand up against the community and say, guys, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is what the science shows. Very few people have the, the courage to do that. Because he, I promise you, he's also being attacked by people for saying these things who moments ago were singing his praise. Because it's not about the truth, these people. It's about the gospel of preaching what they're supposed to say. Here's what he says. Four minutes. This is it, it, in the entire, I have the full video next. I won't play it all just so you can have that. But here's the clip that came from this channel, uh, whatever it's called, the uh, Fahrenheit's Freud. Freund. <laughs> so here's the clip. Maybe just play the first part of it, actually. So the study that we are going to discuss today is actually by researchers from Bring Brigham and uh, Women University or Hospital from Boston, Massachusetts, Harvard Medical School, Boston, Massachusetts, and the Division of Infectious Diseases, Montreal University, Quebec, Canada. Beautiful study. The summary of the study is the following. Individuals, these were healthcare workers in the study, 13 people, so small study. Individuals who got the first shot of Moderna vaccine, they had spike protein, some of them, three of them, but all of them had S1 part of the spike protein in their plasma. That was... It just, this is exactly what we've talked about from the, this, this guys, this is the premise. This is the focal point for why the Red Cross and the CDC and your government have been trying to hide that story from you because they recognized very early that they couldn't use the plasma from the vaccinated individuals for whatever reason. And they wrapped that. That's why I played that clip a second ago. They realized this and even slipped that on the Western corporate media, but 
Now this study's coming out, and what he's finding, what's interesting is the differentiation between the spike one and two, which he, he'll get into. But regardless, before he even gets to that, because what he's showing you is that having one of them specifically in the blood exposes what not, is not supposed to happen according to the CDC. So they're lying to you. But if it's in your blood at all, which we've already proven to you, that this is cytotoxic. This is creating blood clots. It's creating strokes and, and heart attacks and everything we're talking about. That's why the Sulk Institute made it clear. And actually, I'll include that next once he's done talking, that the Sulk Institute made that very clear, that this is in and of itself dangerous, in and of itself can cause disease, which don't forget means that that can then spread. So if you just get the spike protein, which Dr. Warren, the, the discoverer of that, uh, of mRNA specifically, reported to Twitterverse that it can shed, that yes, you can shed the spike protein. He got censored for it until he came out and said, look, guys, I'm the liter- I'm the one person that should speak on this. And he, they got forced to bring him back. And he's been telling people that, yes, the spike protein can shed. So if it can shed and it's cytotoxic and you can literally create disease in and of itself, which can then be spread again, this could be something in and of itself that is spreading and getting people sick. It's not even related to specifically whatever we're calling COVID-19 other than the connection of the spike protein. Very interesting. So all that being said, he's showing you a study or discussing it, which will be in the links, that this is being found in your blood. How many times do we need to see that they're continually lying to you about the things that are clearly leading to you getting hurt? It's not supposed to happen. And not supposed to happen. And that is what is observed. Number one. Number two, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is also the first ever study to show vaccine-generated S1 or spike proteins part circulating in the blood. So anyways, here is blood and in the blood are S1 parts of the spike protein. They say, we have no idea. It is not clear to us why spike S1 will be in the blood. We don't know. So we do not know why S1. And we also, they say, do not know why more intact spike proteins later on in the blood. Now realize, so the, now realize, guys, that they're not saying that only some of them should be. They're literally still arguing that that's not even the case, that there is no the spike protein. Remember when they keep, oh, it stays in the shoulder muscle. That's it. End of story. Anything else is fake news. It's It's been shown to be false from like the very beginning. And the, the corporate media has kept the narrative from coming out, or rather mass adoption, really. Here's the full video if you'd like to watch it. It's 44 minutes. Here's the Salk Institute back in April 30th, 2021, finding very clearly that, as it says here, that this study proving that the spike protein by itself, not the COVID, not from the injection, but just however it finds its way into your body, whether through injection or COVID or whatever else, by itself is enough to cause disease. So knowing that it can shed, knowing that it circulates your blood, knowing that it can find its way into somebody else's situation and cause disease means, guys, this is probably exactly what's happening. Couldn't this then be looked at as a self-spreading vaccine? Couldn't this be looked at as something else? Yes. But again, there's, there's too much unknown here. Bottom line is they're not even acknowledging what we can see. Now, here's the, tr- thank you, Guy Jordan, for pointing this out, saying the spike protein is supposed to, he says the spike protein of the vaccine is supposed to lock the spike protein in a closed position, which means the S1 and S2 proteins cannot separate, which is necessary for the spike protein to bind to the ACE1 receptor. 
which is the only way this is even possibly working. So if it's not even doing that, that means that's probably explaining why it's hurting these people instead. It says, if S1 protein alone is floating free in the bloodstream all by itself, there was no, there was a separation. This doctor says S1 protein found alone cleaved from S2 in the blood of those who took Moderna's vaccine. So falls another claimed safety feature. And he points out this, this, the link, but he also gives a study here if you'd like to check it out. It's all in the show notes. I mean, just think about how much of this is continuing to fall apart in front of you. It's just amazing, guys. This is hopefully, hopefully, and I do believe so, will go down in history once we get past this somehow as one of the most obvious and most catastrophic attacks on humanity we've ever seen. Knowingly hurting people with experiments, with dangerous genetic injections. I mean, this is incredible. Real-time experimentation. That clear. Now, to finish off, guys, I want to make a couple, just kind of one like broad point here about deceptive discussions around Ukraine. Now, this is what I keep telling. I actually truly believe that that weird video of the cocaine on Zelensky's desk, even though it's pretty clear from people that are inside the circle or people that know from before this, or just argue that they have insight into what he, you know, that this person is a, is an abuser of substances. I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying that's what's been reported by not just people aligned with one side of the narrative today, but before this or around, you know, people that are in the Western media, whatever. So regardless of whether that's the truth, the point is that there was a video that came out, which I already showed you. And I found it, I found pretty quickly that there's a, the video has been altered. Now, just because a video comes out that shows cocaine on his desk, and then it comes out to show you that the video was altered to show that cocaine it wasn't really there, which was the truth. They use that as evidence that he doesn't use these drugs and that he's being lied about. Well, yes, in that one case he was. Now, couldn't it then also be that they put that out to counter, you know, counterintelligence sort of a way? Certainly possible too. We should consider all these things. Or it could be people lying for their truth who want to lie about him because they believe that's the truth. I and mean, we know this all works. It all leads back to the same two-party manipulation stuff. Bottom line, though, is there's a lot coming out from every possible angle that is deceptive, that is lie, that are that are lies, that are misrepresentations, that are outright fabrications. But only one side of this is being acknowledged. And on that side, it's they don't even care if it's proven. They just care about the allegation. That's how this has always gone. So now this is coming out saying, fact checks, he didn't have that on his desk. Therefore, everything you hear about him that's being said is all fake. That's how that gets taken. Oh, so the ghost of Kiev is real then because he was lying about the cocaine, right? That's how this works. It's, it's a logical fallacy. But taking that into the conversation, there are lies coming up from every side. I promise you Russia's lying about stuff. I promise you that the U.S. government's lying about stuff. I promise you the Ukraine government is lying about stuff. That's how this always happens. It's amazing that we lose sight of that in the midst of the fervor political. But this came out. This was a couple of days ago. I already briefly talked about this, April 29th. Express writes, and embarrassingly so today, right? This didn't age well. The ghost of Kiev, hero of Ukraine war, dies in battle defending the country from Russians. As I said, the ghost of Kiev, in quotes, who even corporate media has admitted verifiably, and that was on 29th, I said that, does not exist, apparently dies in battle. They just can't put down this crumbling narrative. It's sort of incredible and almost entertaining in a sort sad sort of way. Hashtag cool story, bro. Now, guys, I you you would it'd be entertaining. Take your if you want to to dive through this thread. I'm not going to waste your time with it now. But there is an endless amount of people in this thread that are just you're a Russian spy. You're you're doing uh, op as a Russian spy. <laughs> it's just it's crazy. You know, just give just to give you a couple of examples. Someone sure loves Russia, ha ha ha, right? Because they think I'm wrong. Right? They don't care. As I write, like, nice tweet, comrade. <laughs> Hashtag assumer. 
the great point about this is after the newest part of the story came out yesterday and today, crickets. None of them are there. I wonder why. Isn't it strange how they don't want to come back and engage after they laugh about how dumb you are and they get shown to be false in real time? But, well, I just, maybe, uh, it says, he's real. Are you? <laughs> or not at all, but keep trying to, I mean, this is, this is what I'll show you next. The Ukraine military confirms that it was made up. Oops. Weird how they don't want to respond. Just because some of the footage floating around originated from random text doesn't mean he's not real. You see this kind of stuff? Or they admit it. No comment. Right? My point is that here's the interesting part about how this went. So at the time when I posted this, this 29, when I said Verifalvi does not exist, they couldn't stand that, right? Because ultimately they're saying, well, just because there's video doesn't mean he's not out there somewhere. And I was like, okay, I could give you that. But think about what you're saying. So the video is fake. The reports are fake. Everything so far has been shown to not be real, but there could be somebody out there that by that name. So doesn't that mean that he's not, if, if there's never been an example that he even exists and everything they've claimed about him has been shown to be false, what else would you call that? You don't just get to go, maybe he's there, so therefore you're wrong until you prove that he's there. I mean, come on, that's just logical inconsistency. It's ridiculous. So my point was simply that he, they've already shown him not to exist because everything that's been shown is not real. Right. But, but I could give them the weird kind of game where it's like, well, you don't know, I, but that's playing my game. Sure. You're right. It's certainly possible. Okay. But my point was how it all broke down in real time in the conversation and they were just attacking and making fun and being very childish. And it just, it's, that's why I don't want to waste your time with going through more of it. But this is the problem with how we fight against this stuff. I do, I want, I do believe most of them are probably bots or just people lost in the narrative. I don't believe most people think this, but here's how it's developed to today. Or, or excuse me, this is the this is the first this, the first things I was putting out before today or yesterday. We had things like this. The video, by the way, was fake, and that's very easy to show. The very first thing that came out was a video game. They literally used a video game and said that was him shooting people down. Off Guardian exposed that. Later, this comes out. New York Newsweek says, Ghost of Kiev is very likely not real, but instead an imaginary hero designed to bolster Ukraine's morale, which is exactly the truth. So new good good on you, Newsweek, being way ahead of that. But of course, I post that in the thread and they go, well, that doesn't say it. They just mean we don't know for sure. It's like, so you're the one yelling that he is real, but yet your argument is that he could be real, but we don't know for sure. Doesn't that undermine your own argument? <laughs> it's just you're jumping from one logical inconsistency to the next. It's not about being right. It's about making sure you don't get looked at as right. It's very strange. But here's another one. February 25th, it goes all the way back. The animation miscaptioned as if to show this, this is admitting that the online discussion of him was using a fake video game report. Same thing. Just because the very everything you've seen is not real. And this was the breakdown. Then it came to this point. Very embarrassing now, right? April 30th. Ghost of Kiev dies in battle. That's what the Express and almost every what corporate media outlet towed. They came out and said, a war hero died today. And you know why? As I made clear before, Ukraine said. So up until this point, it's been nothing but fake news, lied video game clips, misinformation, even some of the more moderately willing to be honest in certain advantageous moments, Western press, like the news week are going to say, well, we don't, it's pretty clear that he's not real, but we don't know. But then it comes to where he got shot down. So we haven't even proven he's real. Now he's dead. The body's gone. The building, it's the, the supposed jet's been exploded. We can't prove anything, but Ukraine comes up and says, this is what he really, this is his name. That's who he was. 
Why do we trust that? Well, here's his name. They say the ghost of Kiev identified as Major Stefan Tarabalka. And everyone in that chat that was attacking me before were saying, how dare you? This guy is a hero. And we all know, we know as a matter of fact, because Ukraine said, now just wait for it, this name specifically, as the Ukraine government says, that's not even real. But the point is this came out and they all shouted it down as if we know because Ukraine says. Now think about how crazy that is. They don't know that for sure. Why in their minds, because Ukraine says it, therefore true, is the same reason they trust CNN or Fox News. Interesting, isn't it? Then we got a couple more things. Here's the same. This is the same thing. This is as of today, but saying a little more ambiguously, the ghost of Kiev, however, is almost certainly a myth, albeit an incredibly useful one, just like Biden told you, or as the media told you, that we're in an information war. So it's okay that we're lying to you. As children, you not, you're not smart enough to know. One of Ukraine tries to rally its citizens to resist Russia's conquest. Then this was the one I thought was the most important. This came out midday, or actually, excuse me, the 30th. But this was, what this is, here's what's interesting. I didn't even catch this. So this comes out March 2nd, and they can't even be, they can't even acknowledge what has come out in the 30th. Interesting, right? Well, as I said, for all those bleeding about Russian disinformation in the comments, the Ukrainian military has now admitted that he is made up. As this this person points out, most of the people went MIA after he posted the link. What's shocking is the handful that then immediately transitioned from he's real and we know it to what's wrong with boosting their morale. <laughs> it's just incredible. So you're wrong. And instead of going, oh, we know, you know, a screaming that I'm so crazy and a conspiracy theorist that he's real and we know it. And the moment that it's proven that he's not real, you just transition right into, well, so what's wrong with that? It's helping morale. So the point is, guys, there's no point in arguing with someone like that because it's not, it's jumping right to the next thing. The desire to preserve this fictional hero is ridiculous. And I agree. Here's the actual article. They're telling you from the military, it's made up. As he says, the viral tale of the so-called ghost of Kia, they lo- and this is from task and purpose. I mean, this is corporate media. The so-called ghost of Kia, a lone Ukrainian ace fighter pilot credited with at least six kills. Wow. In the skies with some claims, putting the number at up to 40. Geez, that's pretty inconsistent. Has been officially denounced by the Ukrainian military after a pilot who died in March was identified as the ghost by multiple media outlets, including the Times of London. So, shocker, the corporate media towed a absolutely false narrative. Why? Because someone in Ukraine told them to. I'm not even making this up, guys. They're even being challenged from within there. It's just, this is embarrassing. This is as silly as the, as the North Korea haircut discussion. Here's New York Post for those on the others. Oh, it's only left or right. Right? We'll meet you all today, okay? May 2nd. The ghost of Kiev is a myth. Ukrainian officials have admitted this over the weekend. Here's BBC. How Ukraine's ghost of Kiev legendary pilot was born. As it says, Ukraine's fighter pilots are vastly outnumbered by the Russians and have become legendary, thanks in part to the story of an alleged flying ace called the ghost of Kiev. But now... The Ukrainian Air Force Command has warned on Facebook that the ghost of Kiev is a superhero legend whose character was created by Ukrainians. Right. So it's not it's not that the government coordinated a propaganda campaign. They're just blaming the organic willingness of the Ukraine people to create a hero. How stupid. Now it says the Air Force stressed that that look at this is right here, guys. Tara Balka is not ghost of Kiev and he did not hit 40 planes. 
I really hope one of you really dense people out there in this chat were are listening right now and realizing that this is how stupid this is. Right? How funny it is that they can literally state the guy that you guys were screaming and crying, how dare you? How insulting. This person's a hero. Didn't exist. And the only stupid part of this is that you fell for the direct and blatant lies of somebody who's repeatedly caught lying. I mean, this is just, it makes my, my head hurt, guys, that we even have to get pulled into this, which is probably the whole point, that I just wasted 30 minutes on a thing that didn't even exist. Right? And this is the guy, this is a picture. Look at this. Oh, he's a hero. Oh, what a hero. Now, here's the point, guys. I'm not saying this guy didn't die. I don't even know. That's not even the point of me investigating. For this, My point from the beginning was they just took a person who got killed and they lied about him. Now, who, who's the bad guy in that situation? The government who used this person like a tool, who used him, lied about who he was to achieve their own propaganda ends, when in reality, all they did was tarnish his memory, Right? Now, I don't know who he really was. I don't know if he's an Azov member or whatever else. But the bottom line is this person was not who they said he was. They lied about him. And now he's caught in this propaganda battle where we're, ha- we're having to essentially say what he is is a fabrication. Which, if you, if, you know, that's... Bottom line is we don't know who he was. The point is that's just insulting. Family members, whatever else. And the person who's making that happen are the U.S. government, the people, the U.S. government, the corporate media, and the Ukrainian government blatantly lying to you for an information war. Sad. So the point is, this guy probably existed. Seems like a real fighter pilot. But is the the ghost of Kiev, or was it just a person in a picture that they used and lied to you? Also, let's not miss the interestingly obvious Nazi symbolism right in the middle of his mask. Because that doesn't exist, though. Because fake news. <laughs> you know, the cross, the, the classic little symbol there. But no, it's all misunderstood, right? Finally, last point. Eva Bartlett out there knocking it out of the park still. I hope you guys will check out our recent interview with her. But here's her recent report on RT. So, oh, no, you should not even look at it if you're scared of RT. Like, it's just so funny how people do that. Could it be? I mean, look, it doesn't even matter where it comes on. What platform? Who writes it? It matters. It has an effect. You should consider those things. But just look at the facts. Look at what she's saying. Compare it with what you're seeing from people coming out of the areas. Compare it with what the Western corporate media says. Come to your own conclusions about it. But to simply go RT, therefore I am not reading it, makes you juvenile. Like literally as willfully ignorant as you can imagine by going, la, 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 I'm not going to look because they told me not to. Good dog. Well-trained. Ukrainian strike on Donetsk market was a terrorist act, which, by the way, this just happened. Oh, did you not hear about that on the corporate media? I wonder why. If the Donetsk marketplace, which is in the center of a vastly civilian populated area, or densely, excuse me, if the Donetsk marketplace was hit by a rocket artillery on Thursday, excuse me, if it had been, if the Donetsk marketplace that was hit by an artillery rocket on Thursday, excuse me, on Thursday, had been in a city controlled by Kiev, the names and faces of the five civilians killed would be on every major news outlet. But because it was another Ukrainian attack on civilians in the Donetsk People's Republic, as has been happening for eight years plus, the deaths and 23 additional civilians that were injured will almost certainly go unreported, as it has. As has been the, as has been the norm during the regime's eight years of the Donbass and Western's media's eight years of ignoring the attacks. Read the rest of the article. We already actually talked about this, guys, on our interview with her. It's very sad. Here's the video itself. This is the marketplace, a huge marketplace. 
Here's our interview. Please read this because not only did we discuss that stuff, but we discussed the mass graves, which I just covered on my last show from yesterday, which, by the way, on the ground, she in real time debunks. And by the way, Portugal CNN has already also come out quietly and said, yep, we are there, too. And there's no mass graves. But guess what didn't happen? Fox News, CNN, CNBC, NBC, none of them followed up and said, oh, the mass graves are fake news. Just went away. How interesting is that? Evidence on the ground in Ukraine directly contradicts their narrative, like everything else. But here's the tweet she put out, which is horrifyingly sad. These are civilians that got killed in this market. You're not going to see this on the corporate media because they don't care. It was a residential area. Now, finally, last two points. Clayton Morris, I'm not familiar with his work, but apparently he used to be on corporate media. Interviewed Eva Bartlett. And she was promoting it, saying it's a great interview. I haven't got a chance to watch all of it. I have watched this clip, but please check it out. Eva Bartlett is knocking it out of the park. One of the few people out there really doing the, the hard and dangerous work that needs to be done today. And people like Patrick Lancaster and others that are putting their lives at risk to get you the truth. But you should question it like anything else, because that's what discerning adults do. But important to watch. As, she, as the, the, the tweet says, Zelensky's government is targeting and disappearing journalists which is happening right now. He sat down with, with Eva Bartlett, award-winning war correspondent, and what she told him is terrifying. And it is. Watch it for yourself, guys. But here's our last report we just did. This is the show from yesterday, which we go over both the things I just said. Ukraine hunts down Russia sympathizers. Real time, this is happening. Violations of Geneva Conventions, but even, even just the unjust arrests are a violation of those conventions, but realize that they're assassinating people. I showed you yesterday, and the links are in this video. They admit that the, per the Russian blogger that was killed in his car was because he was a traitor, and more of that's going to happen. These people are posing for the DW video that this was, and even then, it's still alarming to watch because of what they're doing. People are being arrested for po commenting negatively on the Ukraine flag. That was happening in Russia, and to some degree it is. They would be out screaming about it. The double standard, the hypocrisy, is mind-boggling, which means they know they're doing it. But the second part of it, CNN Portugal admits the mass graves aren't there. It's amazing how obvious this is. That's why it's important to recognize, guys, that the new media, the independent media, has clearly taken over. They know that. We all know that. They're just barely hanging on because of subsidization by the government. They're paying for it. They're controlling what they're doing. And they'll never let it go. They're going to use them and pretend that they're the majority, like I keep telling you. That's the objective, to maintain the illusion that they are controlling the majority opinion. They're not. Like Mika Brzezinski said back in the day, it's our job to do that. That's what they really think. And today, you are the ones out there actually influencing opinions. TLF, independent media, those supporting independent media. Soon enough, that will come out. And I believe it already has. It's about whether we are willing to acknowledge it. But thank you for being here today and keeping this outlet going. We wouldn't exist without you. Everything we do is only in existence because of your support straight donation model. That's all we have. We don't have app, we don't have advertisers. We don't get anything other than what you guys choose of your own accord without solicitation to send to T-Lab. I don't even know of any other outlet, I think, other than Corbett Report that does that. And I'm not, I'm not down, uh, downing, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not dis, uh, disparaging people that have models like that. I'm just simply very proud of the fact that we built that. Built it with you. I couldn't do this without you. Thank you for being here today and continuing this work that is of such monumental importance. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
there's been over a 20 to 1 return. If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These va- NBC News national security correspondent Ken Delaney and live in Washington. They're also suggesting that Ukraine has biological and chemical weapons in Ukraine. That's a clear sign he's considering using both of those. Talking about that was based on declassified intelligence, but we're also told the intelligence wasn't very clear about what exactly was going on. And they decided to, dis- to disclose it as a way of deterring. Uh, Russia from doing that and putting the world on notice. We've never seen this level of information warfare before from the U.S. government. Another example was when they announced that Russia had gone to China uh, to ask for help with what with getting some weapons. That hasn't come to pass yet. Yes, and it was- one U.S. official telling you it doesn't even have to be solid intelligence when we talk about it. 